see in the news is kids that shoot and abuse. Nations at odds over borders and gods, or stories of you that shoot up and use. Dads with their toys, neglecting their boys, and moms with their curls. What are we teaching our girls? The media's eyes grow hollow and cold, as prophets soar from the horrors they've told. Every night at six from behind a tall desk, teaching me to fear that or fear this. I listen in fear to the stories I'm told. Oh, how I wish I could learn to fear less. But from deep inside, not of my bones or my flesh, a still small voice calming my worry and stress. It says to me, fear not, for I've got all of this. Trust in me, my child, and live. So we started a series last week called Fearless, and this idea of um, living our life fearless, and today we're talking about others, how we relate to each other. Now, I know this about you, because I know this about me. We all have this desire for the approval from other people. We want the approval of other people. That's the way God made us. He designed us this way. It's not a sin for us to want other people's approval. Um, It's not part of the fall of man. He designed us to encourage each other. Therefore, I think that's part of it. We want that encouragement from other people. We're motivated by the emotions that come from the encouragement that we get from other people. We all want to know what others think of us. Am I right? You want to know what your boss thinks of you. You want to know what your parents think of you. As a parent now, I'm concerned. I want to know, I, I hope, I, I want my kids to like me as well. So I'm concerned about what my kids think of me. Um, some of you are concerned about what your in-laws think of you. Some of you don't really care. Um, and, and that's something different as well. My coworkers, you care about your coworkers, right? Your neighbors. These are important things. Some of you don't care at all about what anybody thinks of you. And that's a whole different sermon. We'll have to unpack that one later, okay? If that's where you're at, we'll get to that some other time. But for most of us, you care about what others think of you. And for the most part, we like it when it's positive, right? When it's encouraging, when we have positive feedback from others and people like us, we like that. It's tough when it's criticism, when it's critiques coming at us. Aristotle said it this way, it's easy to avoid criticism. All you have to do is say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. But even if you do that, somebody's going to critique it, right? They're going to say, step up, do something, say something. So it doesn't matter. We're still going to get critiqued somewhere along the line. But if you do, you step out, you stand up for something, you say something, you do something, people are going to have an opinion of you. Now, either way, whether that's good or bad, whether that's positive or it's a criticism, I think there's caution for us. There's something that we have to do with those emotions and those feelings, and we have to be careful. There's caution in that. Proverbs um, talks about this. Solomon, he writes, chapter 29, verse 25, and this is a verse I'm going to use now. I'm going to say it again, probably a couple more times throughout the the sermon. Um, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever... Trust the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Now, if we unpack that word snare um, from the Hebrew, the original text, and the English, it means the same thing. It's, it's a trap. It, there's a snare. It's when a hunter goes out and sets up a trap to catch a prey or an animal. And usually it's camouflage. Usually it's hidden. But when they step into that snare and they trigger it, it will, it will capture them. Whether it's by their legs, by their neck, whatever it might be, it will hold them until the hunter comes to get them. 
Same with us. And the same idea, if we fear each other, what the writer here is saying is be careful. There's caution within that. And if we get caught in this, we have to do whatever it takes to free ourselves from this. So question, what is the fear of man? What is the fear of other people? And there are a number of phrases that we could use to describe this. The concept of pleasing others, wanting their approval, um, trying to make others happy. If we step into the world of psychology, there's probably terms that maybe you've been described by or you've heard these before. Inferiority complex, low self-esteem, codependency. These are words that would help us understand this concept and what we're talking about. So this phrase, the fear of man, it does come with a negative connotation. It's usually described in a negative way. However, I don't think all fear of men is negative. Because if God designed us this way, and this is who we are, that we want the approval of others, there's something that comes along with this that we have to pay attention to and say there's got to be a level where this is healthy and good for us. In Scripture, we learn about different relationships. So in Proverbs, we learn that there's a relationship between children and their parents. And as a parent, I think there's a certain level of, we can maybe say fear within that, that we want our children to obey us. So there's some fear that goes along with that. There's a relationship there. Um, rulers and authorities, or I can say governments. Um, Romans talks about this. There are governments set up in place. Now, whether you agree with your government or not politically, and you have different opinions of that, there's still the lesson that without rules and regulations and without some kind of hierarchy, that it would be a mess. So we have to come along with that at some point and say this is the system that we have set up and the Bible teaches that we should follow that to some extent. Titus talks about servants or for us employees and bosses. There's something there that we want that between each other. A marriage relationship brings along some level of um, relationship between each other. It's not just one to the other. It's both in how we relate. And in Christian brotherhood, uh, in church, how we relate to each other. So when does this concept become negative? When does it switch and become a bad thing? I think the approval that we want from others becomes a bad thing when it becomes too important to us. It, is wrong when it becomes, or the motive or the expression becomes corrupt. Or maybe the best way to say it is this, when respect turns into fear. So all of those relationships that, that I shared with you, I think the word that would best describe all of those is respect, right? I, I wanna respect my parents, I want my children to respect me. The authorities in government, we should have healthy respect in that. Um, servants or employees and bosses, there should be respect in that. A marriage relationship should be mutual in that respect. But when that respect turns to fear, something has changed. And that's the snare that I think we have to be careful to step into. A guy by the name of Lou um, Priello, he wrote a book called People Pleasing. He describes it this way. As he writes, he goes, our desires are wrong because you have longed for them too intently. When our heart strives for that, right, is, is the idea. He writes, what may have begun as a legitimate God-given desire has now metastasized and mutated into an inordinate one. One that we can't control anymore, or it controls us. 
So this concept of sinful fear of man, I think it manifests itself in a couple ways. One, an insatiable desire for approval. Meaning, I want your approval of me so much that even when you do give it to me, it's not enough. And I want more of it, and I want more of it. And you can't do enough to please my desire for your approval of me. Or it's the opposite of that. I fear you so much. There's so much fear of being rejected by you that I won't have the relationship with you anymore. That we break the relationship because I want to control it. Therefore, my fear controls that and we can't even have the relationship. Again, the key, I think, of this is unappeasable. When the fear becomes so controlling of you that that fear controls that, whatever that breaks up to be. So some of you might be sitting here thinking, um, man, he's nailed me. I'm there. Yeah, that's, this is who I am. This is how I feel. I've been here before. Others of you are wondering, he's holding that Bible. Is he ever going to open the thing? When's he ever going to get to the point? What's he talking about with this? I don't, I don't even understand what he's getting at because this doesn't affect you or you're not, um, it, it's not a big thing for you. Let me ask you a few questions because I think for mo- most of us, we've been here at some level. So see if you've gone down this path. One or two of these things might hit home for you. Do you struggle with peer pressure? And not that you love hanging out with your friends, but have your friends ever talked you into doing something that you had already decided not to do? It might be you then. Are you overcommitted? Do you have a hard time saying no? If you have a hard time saying no and you say yes to everything, it might be because you want to please those people. Um, In your marriage, let me unpack it like this. Um, And I'm going to use this in a strong term. Do you need your spouse to fulfill something for you? That's a lot of pressure to put on your spouse, if that's the case. I need them to listen to me. I need them to um, respect me. I need their physical touch. And if not, I might do something I shouldn't do. And is that need too much pressure on them? Are you always second-guessing your decisions? You made a decision, you're ready to go do something, but you contemplate it over and over and over because you're afraid to actually fulfill it now because of what others might think. You get embarrassed easily, whether that's in front of a crowd or um, in private even. You get embarrassed easily. Do you, do you ever lie? And not just flat out not tell the truth, but you, you expand on the truth a little bit to make yourself look a little bit better than the situation really was because you want others to really like you. Do you get jealous of other people? Or how about this one? Do you avoid people? And you actually cover it up by saying that you're an introvert when you're not. You just make that claim. No, I'm introverted. Therefore, you don't want to go do anything. But you're really not introverted. Um, You're just using that because you're afraid of not pleasing somebody else and it gets you out of something. I want to go here with you. Um, If if any of those hit you, maybe this is for you. Um, Galatians chapter 2. This is where we're going. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Find this. Galatians chapter 2. If you have your phones, get your phones out. Um, Turn here. But i got to give you some backstory with this one before we get there. It's a little um, paragraph, just a little part of this that we get to that can be confusing if you don't have some backstory with it. So let's go back to this. And it talks about relationships between a couple apostles, and they're messy. 
Um, they were real people. They made mistakes and they did some things and they had to confront each other. So uh, before we get to Galatians 2, let's go back to Christianity and how it got started. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem. This is where it started. The Jesus movement started with um, the focus towards some Jews in Jerusalem. But the message of Jesus was not just for the Jews. It was for all humanity. And so it quickly jumped outside of Jerusalem and spread um, like crazy through Israel and beyond. But by the time the Apostle Paul came on the scene, now remember Paul... He was not one of the original 12, and he wasn't hanging out with the 12 during the time of Jesus. He didn't become one of the apostles until after Jesus had died and come back from the dead. Then Paul comes on the scene. So by the time Paul comes on the scene, there are as many non-Jews that are following Jesus as there are Jews that are following Jesus. But that creates a problem. Because the Jews, they thought following Jesus meant you obeyed all of the Torah, which was the Old Testament law, and all of the extra laws that went along with that. And so they had this long list, hundreds and hundreds of laws that you had to follow, and some of them were very specific, man-made laws of that, and the Jews were following those, thinking this is what it was all about. But they opened that up, and non-Jews can now follow, even if they weren't following all of the Jewish laws. It brought a lot of debate. And if you read the book of Acts, that's where we learn about a lot of that debate. You can read through that. And the book of Acts, coupled with this um, in Galatians, you can see some connection with this. So Christians, uh, the Jewish Christians, they thought they were set apart by following their laws, which was intended like um, some of the big ones. Circumcision of the males, um, eating kosher, was another one. And they had a long list of rules that you had to follow on Sabbath. In order to honor the Sabbath, they had a long list of rules that went with that. The Apostle Paul comes along and starts teaching to the non-Jewish people and saying, you don't have to follow all of those to be a follower of Jesus. Which to the ladies, they were like, okay, for most of them, that's good. To the men, they were like, Whew, Thank you, because circumcision was one of those things. They're like, oh, good, we don't have to do that in order to be a Jesus follower. We can still make it. Good. Thank you for telling us that. Now, there were a lot of Jewish followers, though, that started to tell the non-Jews, the Gentiles, no, that's wrong. You have to do everything that we do if you're going to follow this Jesus guy. And so they were going to the non-Jews, telling them about that. However, Peter was also one that stepped into the scene. Peter came over to the non-Jews along with Paul, and he started to teach them and tell them, no, you're good. And he was hanging out with them. He was eating bacon with them, barbecued pork. He was saying, you know, pass it along. This is great. I love this stuff. He was hanging out with the non-Jews, and they, everything was good with him. Until one day the Jewish leader showed up and they started to enforce their laws on the non-Jews. Here's the problem. Peter said, oh, yeah, they're right. Um, you guys shouldn't be doing that. One day he was eating bacon with them. The next day he was telling them, you can't have bacon. That's not right. He was being a hypocrite. And he was, depending on who was in the room at the time, he was landing with those people. Now, get, he wasn't trying to bring them together and say, oh, yeah, no, come on, guys, listen to what is being told. And he wasn't over here saying, no, listen to what we're trying to say and bring this together so we had one movement together. 
It depended on who was in the room and who his friends were at the time of what side he was on when we get to this point. So we get to Galatians chapter 2. And I want to read this to you out of, it's going to be on the screen, out of the message. Um, You might have a different version in front of you, but the message, I like the way Eugene Peterson unpacks this. Um, Verse 11 says it this way, Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. I mean, get the picture. Here are two grown men, and he's confronting each other and said, I got up in his face because he was wrong. All right, can you, can you get this scene? Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that conserv- conservative group from Jerusalem came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could between himself and his non-Jewish friends. Now here's the line I want you to catch. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. That's how fearful he was. For that last line, unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, Barnabas was known as the encourager. He was a guy of encouragement. Even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. The fear of not being accepted by the people around him caused Peter to forget the truth of the gospel message. See, they'd already agreed on it. The apostles had already agreed that this is what they were going to teach and how they were going to teach it and the truth of the, the real gospel, that it was for everyone. And Peter forgot that and he went back on it. Peter had already done this once. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the courtyard and some people were questioning him. They said, you're, you're one of them. He goes, no, no, I'm not. Three times he denied Jesus in that setting. And here he is again, going against his true belief because of how he might be interpreted or how the opinions might be of him. So I think there's caution for us, and there's some lessons I think we can learn from this um, that that we have to see in this. And here's the first one. Stay true to the truth. I know it sounds weird. When I was working on this this week, I'm like, that sounds too simple or weird, but it it works. Let's stay true to the truth. What's the truth? Let's hold to that. It's more important than what other people think of us. What's true? What Peter and Paul and the others had agreed to, he was now going back on because he might be, he might offend somebody else. And in our relationships, I think it's important to know the difference between respect that we have for each other and when that respect turns into fear. Respect you? Absolutely. I will respect you. Fear you? No. I can't fear you. I should only fear God. God's the only one that we should fear in this. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And knowledge is how we get to the truth. So my first step is to fear God, and the truth will come when I fear Him. Matthew 10, um, verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both the soul and your body in hell. So practically, how do we make this work? What's a practical step with this? This is something I learned uh, many years ago. I think it was some of the best advice that I had received on this 
um, idea or topic, how do we get to the truth? And that is, I think many times we have to separate the message and the messenger. Whatever's coming at us, opinions of other people or advice or critiques, we have to learn how to separate those two things out. Because here's why. You might have a really good friend that you like, that likes you. You know you wouldn't you know, turn on each other with this. But they bring you a critique or they bring you some advice, but they're misguided. Maybe they don't have the complete story. Maybe they're not telling the whole truth. And just because you're their friend, you trust them blindly. You just do. But if they're not telling you their truth, whether they're your friend or not, you have to get to the truth. You have to separate that out and say, I know you're my friend, but what's the truth behind what you're saying? And if you separate the two, it's easier to hear the truth. Or the flip side might be part of that. What if you have somebody that comes to you that you really don't like, that doesn't like you? They would be considered enemies, right? But they're telling you something that you need to listen to, and it's true you might not be able to hear the truth because you just don't like that person. <laughs> well, I don't like you, so I'm not going to listen to you. But if, if what they're telling you is true, you have to learn how to separate that so that you can get to the truth of the story or whatever they're saying. So I will listen to the message you are telling me, but I won't let you and who you are control me or the situation. But I want to find out the truth. I will take the truth from what you're telling me and apply that but I'm not going to take it if it's not the truth, no matter who you are in my life. We have to learn how to separate those. So I understand it this way. Love can be misguided. So I've heard the term before, love, love always wins, or love wins. Well, love can be misguided. Love can be blind at times. And I'm not sure that love always wins in the end. However, I'm pretty certain that truth does. And if we have the truth, that will win. Now, sometimes the truth doesn't feel like love. Sometimes the truth hurts, and we have to find out to make sure that that is real. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives or casts out fear. So love can win as long as it's coupled with the truth. And if we have the truth with that, then absolutely perfect love is truth, and that will always win. So here's the last one on this. I think a lesson we can learn from Peter and Paul and their relationship is to fear God, not man. We shouldn't fear each other. We shouldn't fear um, a religious group. We should fear God. Proverbs 29, verse 25. Again, here we are. The fear of man lays a snare. We can get caught in this, and it can be dangerous for us. But if we trust God, that's where our safety is. So for me, when I break this down and I really um, try and unpack what's behind it, I think we need to see it as a worship issue. This really becomes an issue of worship and who do we worship? And the first four commandments are a part of this. The first four deal with our relationship between us and God. And God says, put no other gods before me, meaning you. Your opinion of me, I can't put in front of my relationship with God, or I will make that my God. He says, don't put any other gods before me. No other images. Respect and honor God first in his name. And remember him uh, on the Sabbath. Take some time to set aside some time to remember him. Because if not, if I fear you and your opinion of me, then I am giving you power over me. That fear 
is then power that I am giving to you instead of to God. Now, there are times when that is appropriate. There are times when that level of respect is so high, it seems like fear. And it can be appropriate because sometimes that object that we're afraid of is worthy of our fear because we need to make sure it doesn't hurt us. Like this, easy example, all right? A spider. A a spider has very little power or strength over us. You're welcome, Natalie. (laughs) Some of you that are afraid of spiders, even looking at it on the screen brings chills or emotions over you, right? But that spider on the screen has no power over you. It's a picture of a spider, that's all it is. Now, if that same spider crawled across your lap right now, it would be a different story, right? You would have to respect what that spider could do to you enough that it would create probably some fear in you and that object would have some power over you to do something appropriate. You you would have to do that. However, in the case of us and our relationships with each other, The power that we give to other people in our lives because of fear is more than we should. We stand in awe of something that we shouldn't. In other words, we give power to each other. We give power to other people that don't deserve it because God is the only one that deserves that power over us. Respect? Yes, I will respect you. Fear? No. You don't deserve that power over me. Only God deserves that power. The fear of others is ascribing power to people that really only belongs to God. And when that fear of others takes over, we end up making those people bigger than our God. And God says, don't do that. Don't worship someone else or other things more than me. And when we give someone else power over us, that's exactly what we're doing. People who are filled with the fear of man trust in that more than they trust in God. And God says, trust in me. Paul even wrote it to the church in Galatia before he got to chapter two. In chapter one, he says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Jesus. We can't do both. We can't serve Jesus and be afraid of each other at the same time. We can't distribute that power evenly. So the fear of man cannot be conquered by you saying, I don't care what other people think of me. I'm just going to live my life. I don't care what other... You can't overcome that fear by saying that because oftentimes it's just empty, arrogant words. And oftentimes it comes along with tearing somebody else down. I don't care what you think of me. You're dumb anyway. You don't have a good opinion anyway. I don't respect your, right? We can't overcome fear of each other by ignoring that. Proverbs 29, verse 25 again, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So if wanting approval from someone is a worship issue, then I've got great news for all of us this morning. Jesus came to tell us and to give us the approval of God over us. See, because your ultimate hope doesn't come from what you think about you. 
It doesn't come from what you think about yourself. Your ultimate hope doesn't come from what anyone else thinks about you either. Although we like that encouragement from others, our ultimate hope doesn't come from what other people think of us. Our ultimate hope only comes from what God thinks of us. And he loves us. He created us. And he cares about you. And when you get that kind of approval from the creator of the universe, then the encouragement we get from each other just builds us up all that much more. It adds to that of what God has done for us. And when we accept the approval of God, the creator of the universe on us, I think it only makes us want to worship him even more. So if you would, let's stand together. Let's prepare for a time to remember what Jesus did for us, and let's worship him.